Blog Talk Radio. This is Marcy Ann, and this is October Blitz Month of Finding Mr. Right. I've been uh, doing a show every day this month. Um, A lot of it is based on things I've talked about in my book, which is uh, 17 Things to Do While Waiting for Mr. Right, which is uh, semi-autobiographical. I actually have done all 17 of the things I talk about in the book, and you can download the book for free at www.mrwriteforme.com. And I've talked a lot of references to it on some of the shows I've done this month. But tonight I wanted to talk to you about one thing I did um, of these 17 things to do while waiting for Mr. Wright, because you know what? The waiting the waiting part the waiting part can be painful. So while you're preparing yourself to be Miss Wright, so Mr. Wright can find you, you need to have things to do. Just a minute. John I'm in here doing the show. I'm in here doing the show. My Mr. Wright just showed up a little early. <laughs> So um, uh, this might be something you would have never, ever thought to do, something that you would have never considered. It might have been the farthest thing in your mind as to how it would help you find Mr. Wright. Like, uh, but it was, I wrote the Bible five times from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. Now, I want to say here that if you're still listening... <laughs> that this information could be maybe the most important amount of information that could ever, you could ever have to help you find Mr. Wright. So I'm just going to please ask you to listen all the way through. I mean, you might feel at first that you just don't need to hear all of this so-called religious stuff. You know, how in the world is that going to help you find Mr. Wright? But love is spiritual, And loving and being loved is all there is. And love is what you're really looking for. And to be able to love and be loved is critical to you being able to find Mr. Wright. So please listen all the way through because I'm going to guarantee you that you will hear kernels and seeds of truth tonight that are going to go inside of you and will eventually germinate and create a space where love can flourish. And that power of love is what is going to find Mr. Right for you. So I started out writing the Bible just to fill time. You know, today there's a whole world of coloring going on, you know, all these new coloring books of all kinds of things and 
and a whole new genre of crayons and gel pens and all of that. But back then, what I did was I just bought some pretty books with blank pages, and I used different types of pens and different colors, and I tried all different kinds of writing, you know, like backhand, and and then I printed and I tried to perfectly make every single letter exactly the same height and width as every other letter. So at the beginning, it was more an exercise in art, you know, than it was an attempt to learn anything. And I just filled books and books and books. (laughs) It gave me a sense of accomplishment. I felt like I had made something beautiful and uh, I thought, well, you know, it, it surely is helping me, but I really wasn't exactly aware of it until one day I was writing with a green pen on this really pretty page in my notebook that had, you know, this gorgeous border all the way around it. And I wrote, God hates the shaking of the finger. Say what? I went back and looked at I thought, well, what verse is that? And it was Isaiah 58, 9. Actually, it says the putting forth of the finger, which makes it even more relevant for today because how many times in our society do people put forth that third finger and say, fuck you? You know, apparently people have been doing this for a long, long, long time. And the Bible says that God doesn't like it. And in the commentary, it said that the putting forth of the finger is a distasteful insult to anyone. God doesn't like for people to disdainfully insult anyone. Gosh, this could just about do away with all the television and movies today (laughs) and most relationships. Because it just seems like our major means of expression today is a disdainful insult. And you know what? This hurts God's feelings. Because we are the form of God here on earth. So when you disdainfully insult someone, you are disdainfully insulting God. And that hurts God's feelings. Well, the next thing I learned... I became aware of is that people have been doing the same things to to themselves and to each other over and over and over and over. And before even that, when people didn't write things down, but they just passed their stories from one generation to the next orally, thing they just kept doing the same things things just haven't changed much i mean we think we're so advanced today what with our cell phones and the internet but people just keep having war and killing each other if you read the chronicles books one and books two it sounds just like today's news about the middle east i mean the same places that actually have the same names People are just doing the same things over and over and over again. The Old Testament part of the Bible is the history of the Jewish people, all of their wars, Korean and being conquered, 
establishing their kingdom or going into slavery. Half-brothers fighting half-brothers. You know what I learned? The Jews and the Arabs are half-brothers. They're both sons of Abraham. Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. And the Jews came through uh, the lineage of Isaac, and the Arabs came through the lineage of Ishmael. Can you believe it? I mean, that's why a Jew is only a Jew if he has a Jewish mother, because Isaac's mother was Abraham's wife, Sarah, and Ishmael's mother was Abraham's handmaiden, Hagar. So all that stuff going on over there in the Middle East is family stuff. And I've said for a long time, until we can get along in our families, how can we ever expect to have peace in the world? And all of our sticking our noses in other people's businesses, I mean, whether it's in the Middle East or Iraq or Yemen or Syria or Vietnam, Korea or wherever, it's all absolutely useless when we have brother killing brother and neighbor killing neighbor right here in our own cities in the United States. You know, I think that we would learn something after so much time. The way the Bible says it is, you have no right to try to get the tiny speck out of the other guy's eye as long as you have a great big speck in your own eye. Get rid of the big speck in your own eye first. So in other words, if you can't get along with your own brother or sister, and then you can maybe, and then, if you do work out some way to get along, then maybe you could help out somebody else that might be having trouble in their family. Because the story I've told probably more than once on this show is about my neighbor who fought with her sister over their deceased father's own old, worn-out bathrobe. My neighbor did end up with it, but the two sisters have not spoken a word to one another to this day. I found that the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. So today would be the day that we could change the way we do stuff so that we don't continue to do that same stuff to one another over and over and over. Well, the most valuable thing that happened to me from writing the Bible five times is that I actually learned what Jesus said while he was here. And it's just amazing how much of Jesus' message has never been preached by the church. Most of what Jesus taught has never been preached. Because Jesus said that he was a man, just like we are. He was a human, a mortal, just like we are. But that he had the spirit of what he called his father, meaning the source of his life. His father was his source of life. His father was the power of his life. And he said he had the spirit of his father within him. And he knew this spirit of his father as love. He called this power the kingdom of God. And he said it was his power for his own life. And that everything he did, he did from this source of love. And he said that we have the kingdom of God in us and that we can do everything that he did. Well, in writing the Bible, I learned that Jesus' natural lineage goes all the way back to Adam. 
And actually, in one place, another little dab of information I found writing the Bible said Jesus is called the first Adam. So I thought, wow, was Jesus Adam? Then I thought, well, to believe that, a person would have to believe in reincarnation. And then I ran across another little dab of information where Jesus told his disciples that John the Baptist was Elijah. So maybe Jesus was Adam. And then Jesus was Abraham, and then Jesus was Moses, and then Jesus was David the king, and then Jesus was Isaiah, and then Jesus was Jeremiah, and then Jesus was Ezra, and then Jesus was Zechariah, and then Jesus was Jesus. Because this would explain how he could say that he had been through every single experience of life, tried and tested in, any, in every way just like we are without sin. I always wondered how that could be true. I mean, how does Jesus know how, what it feels like to lose a child? And supposedly, you know, another lie we were taught that was Jesus was never married or was sexually active as a mortal. But let me tell you, as King David, he lusted after Bathsheba, had her husband killed so he could have her, And then their firstborn child died. And the last time he came to earth, Jesus was killed, died on the cross. But that mission, that last mission, that last time he came to earth was to conquer that last enemy, death, the death that Adam had brought upon the earth. And as the last Adam, Jesus resurrected himself and ascended back to the right hand of God his Father, and from there he now administrates all of the affairs of, at the very least, our solar system and perhaps our galaxy through the Galactic Council and eventually our universe. So I thought, wow, you mean I'm not a dirty old sinner that God doesn't love because of how awful I am? And then I thought, wow, you mean Jesus didn't die on the cross for my sins? That he actually was fulfilling his original purpose as Adam to create an autonomous race of divine beings here on earth who were made in the image and likeness of the spirit of his father who would rule and reign in love and in harmony with the father and with one another? And I thought, wow, You mean that when Jesus resurrected himself back to his original eternal life, that the entire human race is really back now in the Garden of Eden? And that if we seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness and no longer feast our minds on good and evil, that we can now live in eternal life? And I thought, wow, you mean I don't have to die to get to heaven? I can live in the Garden of Eden, which is heaven, the kingdom of God, right here, right now? Today really is the day of my salvation? 
I found another verse that said that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. That the kingdom of God is abundance, exceedingly abundance over all I can think or ask. So I thought, wow, all I can think or ask, well, my friends, I can think of a lot. (laughs) I can think of all kinds of things to ask for. And another verse told me that the kingdom of God, which is within me, is total health and never being sick. And another verse says that the spirit of God that is within me knows about all of my body parts and how they operate and how they can operate perfectly. I mean, remember that other part? Everything and everybody is perfect in its natural state. In its natural state, according to my divine blueprint, my body would be healthy and never be sick. So I thought, wow, why has the church never preached this? Why have we not been taught? So I continued researching, and I learned that from 70 A.D. until 300 A.D., All of the followers of Jesus were disorganized and disconnected. They were just small groups of devotees who would meet in homes, and pretty much each group believed all kinds of different things. The Christians really were persecuted and even considered by many at that time an illegal cult. This was the time of the Roman Empire, who had overwhelmed the Jews in 70 A.D., destroyed the temple, and dispersed the Jews out all over the world, and a lot of them back into slavery. And when Constantine became emperor of the Roman Empire, apparently he had experienced something of a spiritual experience himself with Jesus. And apparently he believed that Jesus had helped him become emperor, so he established Christianity as the primary religion of his empire. And in what I believe was an honest attempt to gather together all of these little remnants of Jesus' disciples throughout the empire, he wanted to unite them with the more pagan elements which had been practicing their beliefs since 2000 B.C., including Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, and Zoroastrianism, because many of these other religions celebrated the winter solstice. So Constantine established December 25th as Jesus' birthday to unite his kingdom celebrations. And then in 320 AD, he called for the Council of Nicaea to develop a universal creed and the dogma that would eventually be the gospel of Jesus Christ for the Roman Catholic Church. And this creed and this dogma has been passed down to us today through Protestantism. And even if you don't go to church, and even if you have never ever studied any of uh, Christianity, it's a part of the fabric of our nation. And it's there subliminally. But what that creed established and the dogma that was set up at that time isn't even close to what Jesus taught and preached. And that's what I found out writing the Bible five times. 
And the Bible says we can know the real truth. And this truth will set us free from the law of sin and death. And so I thought, well, wow, I am now set free from that ridiculous laws of sin and death that the church has preached all these years. Because I am perfect in my natural state. And everyone and everything is perfect in its natural state. Because the natural state of everything and everybody that is perfect is through the Spirit of the Father that dwelled in Jesus and dwells in you and me and in everything and everybody. And when we live our life like Jesus lived his life, we then are totally in control. And we can be happy, loving, and being loved, healthy and rich. Everything everybody wants. And this includes Mr. Wright. <laughs> so the value of this experience is that I established my relationship with the source of my life, which is the spirit of the Father. Another verse I found was that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me. Another confirmation. And this verse says that the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead quickens my mortal body. It's what gives me my, not only my mortality, my form as a flesh and blood person, but my immortality. The spirit of the Father, the spirit of God. And this confirmed to me then that I couldn't be a sinner because God can't make anything that isn't perfect. And later on, I studied under Lama Saridas, who teaches the Dochen, and that confirmed that all things are perfect in their natural state. All things, you, me, the tree, the wasp, the moon, the president, your neighbor, your boss, your husband, your wife, your brothers and sisters, a communist, your mother, your father, a Republican, a flower, an ant. And I thought, wow, I'm perfect, and everything and everybody around me is perfect. So I thought, wow, this really relieves me of a lot of energy I've been using to try to defend myself against this or that or try to fight for this or that. And I heard a song recently that sang about the kings of this and that. You know, we make kings out of this and that. (laughs) And what I found out is that this and that are perfect in their natural state. Wow, what a relief. So as I said at the beginning, this has been the most valuable information I have ever received in my life. And it all came from me starting out, just filling my time while I was waiting for Mr. Wright, writing the Bible. And in my book, 17 Things to Do While Waiting for Mr. Wright, I do have 16 other things that I have done as and what has happened from being involved in those things. But I still say that this one is the most important. And um, my reason for sharing in my book as well as on this radio show is that your active participation in your life 
actively pursuing your desires, your hopes, and your dreams, being on that path that is perfect for you is how you're going to find your Mr. Right. He's right there waiting for you. I'm going to ring your wedding bells. (laughs) 